Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. One of the things I love about the Gateway family, as I've said in my prayers already, is, is we're across five campuses this morning and, and there's so many great leaders that make all the ministry happen. One of the heartbeats of Gateway for so many years has been that global perspective that God calls us to a mission that is local, but it's also global in scope. And uh, we've got Eleanor Chiobo. Chiobo, is that how you say it? Very good. Eleanor Chiobo with us this morning to bring us the word. Um, it's just brilliant working with Eleanor and seeing that heart for missions continue to beat uh, through our church and through our campus. Um, So she's going to get up in a sec, but before she does, I'm going to invite Beck to come out and read to us Ruth chapter 2. Ready and waiting. Thank you, Beck. Over to you. Good morning, everyone. I have the privilege of reading to you today from Ruth chapter 2, and it's titled, Ruth Meets Boaz in the Cornfield. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. 
Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. This man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's welcome up Eleanor as she comes to preach. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Thank you, uh, Sam, for uh, entrusting me with uh, being here this morning. Although I do want to point out Danny Bryant should have been uh, your speaker today, but I'm sorry, you, you got me, but what to do. But uh, it's a privilege to be here and to dive into the series we're doing on Ruth. Ruth uh, is one of my favorite books because why? It's one of only two books in the Bible named after a woman. So it's appropriate that I'm uh, a woman preaching here this morning. But I really enjoy this book because it's a great story. It's a compelling story that... uh, it, it highlights a normal everyday family that's going through highs and lows and ups and downs. I think it's a story that most of us in our families we can relate to, where life just sometimes doesn't go the way we expect it to. But what I enjoy the most about this story is it has a happily ever after ending. And uh, if you're like me, you like those happily ever after endings. But it certainly doesn't start that way. The story starts with uh, tragedy and death, and you would have looked at that last week, where Elimelech, uh, an Israelite man, takes his wife Naomi, and because of a famine in Israel, they travel to Moab. And there she has two sons, Malon and Kilion, And they end up marrying Moabite women. And everything is going along nicely. But then out of the blue, Elimelech dies. And then shortly after, the two boys, the two sons also die. And so here is Naomi with her two daughter-in-laws. Now all three of them are widows. And in the midst of dealing with the grief and no doubt the, the heartache of suddenly seeing all their husbands unexpectedly pass away, we see that in the midst of it, they're also facing financial ruin. They're facing a life of uncertainty because suddenly there's no men to take care of them. There's no men to provide for them. And so we see that Ruth, 
in this precarious state that she finds herself in with these two newly widowed daughter-in-laws as well, she makes a decision. She's going to return to, to Israel. She's going to return to her hometown of Bethlehem. And uh, hopefully in that place, she will find some favor. And on the journey back, one of the daughter-in-laws, Orpah, decides, well, you know, stuff this. Thank you very much. This is too hard. I'm going back to my parents. And, you know, parents were stuck. You know, parents are stuck with their kids, it seems, forever nowadays. But I'm going back to my parents. In my case, I'm 57. My parents are still stuck with me. My dad is now going to put out an advert. Please, anyone take her. But... Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, we see that she clings in chapter one. She clings to her mother-in-law and she says, no, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Nothing will separate us. And we see that Ruth travels with Naomi back to the hometown of Bethlehem. And as they enter, this is how chapter one finishes, as they enter into the town, there's quite a ruckus with people saying, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi that's coming back? And Naomi corrects them. She says, "No, yes, I am Naomi, but don't call me Naomi any longer because Naomi meant pleasant. And she said, call me Mara instead, which means bitterness. And she says that because... In uh, Ruth chapter 1, it says, Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. I went out full. I, I left married and, and wealthy and full of hope and expectation of what the future would hold, like a lot of us on New Year's Day, full of expectation. This is going to be a great year. And instead, she said, I've come back Mara, bitter, empty, disillusioned, disappointed, and bitter. And you know, like Naomi, it's so easy for all of us sitting in this room, it's so easy for us to become bitter. When life doesn't turn out the way we expect, when the new year doesn't look like what we expect it to be, when perhaps a, a relationship goes pear-shaped and suddenly we're having all sorts of difficulties, it's easy to get bitter. When a work venture that we'd stepped out in goes Again, pear-shaped and nothing works out the way we expect it to. It's easy to become bitter. When somebody lets us down or somebody does an action that somehow impacts on us, it's so easy for you and I to become bitter. And, you know, bitterness is so subtle. It starts off as a very small seed, a seed that, that, that sometimes can grow into, the Bible says, a bitter root, a seed that germinates into a root. And the pathway to bitterness simply starts with perhaps a few knocks, a few knocks where things aren't what we expect and we end up feeling uncertain. And in the midst of that uncertainty, that pathway to bitterness develops often into disappointment. Disappointment with life, disappointment with others, disappointment ultimately with God. 
And that disappointment is often the germinated seed of bitterness. And so, you know, we can see that with Naomi and Ruth, it would have easily been a case that they would come home, in Naomi's case, bitter. Call me Mara. Because you can, you can only imagine that, that for Ruth and Naomi, they could never have anticipated the events that, that transpired in their life. The events that led them to becoming widows and barren, childless. These women didn't face uh, a life of luxury and being taken care of. They didn't have a social security system like we have today. They were, they were widowless, childless. They had no one to take care of them. In those days, women didn't necessarily go out and work. The men would work and sustain and provide for the family. So these women, these two women, were facing uh, marginalization. They were facing uh, being on the outskirts of society. They were facing hardship. And you know, life for all of us, for some of us in this room, particularly today, we can't imagine the events that have transpired for us in recent times, in the last months, in the last years. Life has a way of throwing curveballs. Life has a way of doing the unexpected, unimaginable trials that come our way that we could never have anticipated. If you're like me, the last weeks you've been watching the Cleo Smith case on television. My heart, like so many of us, just broke as I saw interviews of Cleo Smith's parents crying out for their child. Imagine they'd gone to the blowholes on a camping holiday and the unimaginable happened. And, you know, thanks literally be to God that it had a good ending. Cleo was found. But those parents went through an ordeal Cleo went through an ordeal that I'm sure none of them could ever have imagined. Because life, as Pastor Sam reminded us this morning, life throws us curveballs and life, we're told by Jesus, he says, in this life, you will. You will face troubles. You will face hard times. But take heart, we're reminded, that Christ says, because I have overcome the world. Take heart. Be encouraged when you face those trials and those difficulties. A few years back, I was a missionary working in India, living in India. And uh, I ended up, unfortunately, you know, if only we knew that morning what would happen to us, I ended up falling down two flights of stairs, 14 steps. Now, let me tell you, I did not bounce. I know, you know, stunt artists say, you know, I went and saw the James Bond film yesterday, they fall downstairs and they get right back up and they're, you know, that was not my case. I was, I was... Uh, a heap at the bottom of these stairs. And that fall eventuated in, in literally years of pain. I still have pain today. 
rehabilitation and a financial strain as a missionary because I ended up in hospital and there was just all these uh, things that, terrible things that had to happen as part of my recuperation. I ended up with huge financial strain. And in the midst of it, me thinking, God, why? Of all the things, if I had faced hardship and pers- hardship and, and, and trials because I was persecuted, persecuted for sharing the gospel and being a great missionary, well, I could handle that. But God, falling down some stairs because actually it was my fault. I'd mopped them and they were wet and I slipped down them. Surely, what's the point in that? What's the purpose for that? God, where are you? What's the great lesson that you're trying to teach me in the midst of it? But, you know, in this life, whether it's falling downstairs or whatever it is that that we're facing, when the unimaginable happens to us, which it will, We ask, where is God? What is going on in the midst of it? And I'm sure, just like Naomi and Ruth, with all that they were walking through, we had a choice, they had a choice to become bitter or to cling to the goodness of who their God was. They could have become disillusioned. They could have become disappointed, like somehow they're not seen, that somehow God doesn't know what they're walking through. I could have become like that when when I was in hospital and I had tubes going in all directions and getting needles shoved into my butt and things sucked out and all sorts of things going on. I was hoping they'd do a little bit of lipo somewhere else in my body. But, you know, for all of us, What is the unimaginable you're facing today? In your job? Vaccinations, non-vaccinations? Is it in relationships? Is is it in your health? You know, when we're disillusioned, when we're disappointed, when we're facing the hardships, this is what I want to actually talk about today, that even in the midst of what we're facing, the difficulties, the troubles, the circumstances, the curveballs that get thrown our way unexpectedly. Even in the midst of it, what we see in Ruth chapter 2, throughout the book of Ruth, is God had a plan. God was at work to care and to provide for Naomi and Ruth even when they couldn't see it. God was still at work, as it were, behind the scenes. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. Even when you don't see it, he's working. That God often, in the darkest trials that we face, in the darkest tombs, God is often at work doing his greatest work that we couldn't even Imagine that we could even ever dare hope for because God is ultimately sovereign. 
People often say God is in control. I prefer to say God is ultimately sovereign and no power shall stand against him, no principality, no circumstance. Nothing can stand against the sovereignty of God who is at work behind the scenes when we don't see it, when we don't feel it. A God is fighting on our behalf. To care, one amen, to care and to provide. Do you believe that today? Even when you're walking through the unimaginable, a God who, for Naomi and Ruth, was at work in the circumstances, a work of sovereign redemption that ended, we know, in the ancestry of Jesus being born through Ruth, through that family line. And so, Father, this morning, as we come before you, you see each and every person in this room. You see what they're walking through. You see the trials that they're facing. And Father, I know this morning by your spirit, you want people to lift their eyes to you, King Jesus, the sovereign God who says, I go before you and behind you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Father, I pray this morning by your spirit, would you capture hearts and minds afresh and remind them of your goodness that chases after them. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this chapter, we see that that Ruth makes a decision to go out and work. We read in chapter 2 that Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So what we see in those days, it was a cultural practice. It was actually a, a Levitical law that harvesters, when they harvested the crops, were to leave the bits and pieces of the grain that would fall, to leave it behind for, for, for the poor, for the needy. And the poor and the needy were often the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners, And they were to leave those bits of leftover grain. It was a way of providing in the community for those poor and oppressed people. And so we see in Leviticus chapter 19, we're told, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You are to leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. And so we see God, even through this commandment, through this Levitical law, is making a way to provide for his people, to make a way to provide for Ruth and for Naomi. And you'll notice in this verse that Naomi and Ruth, well, Ruth doesn't just sit around going, okay, um, I'm waiting for God to provide supernaturally. We've got a need, uh, mother-in-law, we've got a need for food. Uh, She doesn't just sit there waiting. And I think so often for many of us, a temptation 
when we face these hardships is somehow we get paralyzed. We take a passive stance that says somehow I'm just going to sit here because it's all too much for me. There's nothing I can do and I'm just going to wait for God to come like the fairy godfather and wave his magic wand in Jesus' name and provide. But what we see in this passage is that Ruth steps out and begins working. And Ruth trusts God that in the midst of it, in the midst of the work, that he will meet her and that he will be the one that ultimately provides for her. And so in verse 3, we see that she went out she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, what's crazy about this story is Ruth just happens to make a choice to go out on that particular day to that particular field and that becomes a turning point in this whole story. The choice that she went out on that particular day to that particular point. Again, it's highlighting, as we unwrap this, it's highlighting a sovereign God who honors and works with the very real choices that his people make. His sovereignty and our free will going hand in hand together. And so we see as what the world would say is luck, is coincidental, is fate, we see that Ruth happens to choose a field that belongs to Boaz, who happens, just so happens to be Naomi's dead husband's relative. And, you know, if this was a Hollywood movie, you'd be going, whoa, there's a lot of coincidences in this story. Whoa, you know, it's just a bit cheesy. There's too many coincidences. But what we see in God, there's no such thing as coincidences. In God, there's no such thing as luck. In God, there's no such thing as chance. Because God works sovereignly. He is always at work behind the scenes. He is always bringing about his goodness that chases after us. Even when it is dark, even when we can't see the way forward, we're told in all things, in Romans 8, God works together for good. And so, just like you and I, God wants to remind us in that dark place, there's no coincidence, there's no chance God is working behind the scenes. But he wants you and I to step out. He wants us to activate our faith and step out and trust him moment by moment, choice by choice, in all that we do, to trust that when we're faithful in the small things, when we're faithful in the choices we're making, God, let your will be done, let your kingdom come, that he will meet us 
in those small, insignificant things to accomplish and to bring about his purposes and plans because he's committed to you. He's committed to me. And as the story continues, we see again that Boaz just hashtag coincidentally belongs to the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. And it just so happens, hashtag coincidentally, that he happens to notice Ruth as he goes to that field that day. And Boaz learns from his foreman, who is this woman that is working in the field? And the foreman tells him the story of Ruth. And then he says to Ruth, stay in this field, work with my harvesters, and we'll take care of you. And then Ruth Ruth asks him, why? Why have I found such favor with you? And Boaz turns to her and he says, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother in your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know, Naomi, Ruth stood out to Boaz because of her her loyalty, because of her reputation, because of her commitment to her mother-in-law. Now, Ruth, just like Orpah, she could have taken an easier path. She could have taken the path of least resistance, as it were. She could have chosen to go home back to her parents. Instead, we see that Ruth chooses to demonstrate the Hebrew word hesed love, to demonstrate hesed love, commitment, undying kindness, loyalty, integrity, faithful commitment to her mother-in-law to not take the easy path, the never-stopping love, the love that says, I'm committed no matter what. And so we see that Ruth's reputation as a woman of integrity, as a woman who follows through on what she says, is what captures Boaz's heart. You know, if you're like me, I'm the sort of person, I like to take the easier path, the path of least resistance. Uh, I find it's easier to take, you know, the thing that's going to cost the least amount of effort I think in my case, it's probably called laziness. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's when I step out of my comfort zone, when I allow God to stretch me, to, 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 when I, I make the choice to follow through on things that I've committed to, that's when God seems to grow the muscles of integrity, of character, of faithfulness, of loyalty. You know, a few weeks ago, I had some of our elderly people from Gateway, uh, the Ascenders, ask me if I would take them. They're both, uh, one's in the 90s and the other one's close to their 90s. Ask me to take them to visit one of our Gateway Beyond workers, one of our missionaries who lived in another part of the city. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of busy. I got a lot of meetings and, you know, 
oh, but they were like, oh, we don't know how to get there. Could you take us? So I thought, okay, I can schedule out a few hours to, to do this for some of our elderly, you know, heroes of the faith. And so off we went. <clears throat> and what I thought would be a couple of hours ended up, I felt like, I don't know, the, you know, the care workers that take the van with the old people. It ended up being uh, nearly three quarters of the day because they wanted to take the ferry on the way back and then they wanted to stop for photos and then they said, could you take us shopping? And, you know, I want to just whiz through Woolies with this trolley. What do you need? What do you need? Hurry up, you know, and they're, they're plodding along and having a great discussion and I was finding myself getting so frustrated and thinking, I wish I hadn't have committed to doing this because it's really taking much longer than what I expected. But you know, when I dropped them off back at their retirement village, they were so thrilled. They couldn't thank me enough that they got to spend the day with a pastor from Gateway. And it really kind of made their day. And I realized, you know, Being a pastor, it's not about me just having my meetings and getting my stuff done, but it's about being faithful, committed to people when they have need. It's about showing integrity and commitment to follow through on paths that sometimes feel a hard path to walk along. And that's a reputation that, you know, I would like to to be known for, just as Ruth was known by Boaz to be a woman of integrity, a woman of faithful commitment to her mother-in-law. My question to you is, what is the reputation you're known for? You know, a reputation is often something known about us that people say when we're not around. What's the reputation you're known for? And I think, you know, it might surprise a lot of us to know, you know, perhaps secret acts of service we've done or commitments we've done or, or those little acts of kindness. It may surprise us that people actually may know about those things. And likewise, it may surprise us when people know about our acts of selfishness our acts where we put ourselves for, and I, we put ourselves first, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care if this affects others. This is what I want, and this is what I need. What is the reputation you are known for? And we see in this chapter that Ruth is known for her Hesed love. And as the Chapter continues, we see that Boaz is known as the guardian redeemer. He is known as the kingsman redeemer. He says to Ruth in verse 19, then Ruth, oh, sorry, then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. That man is our close relative. He is our guardian, our kingsman redeemer. Now, a kingsman redeemer, a guardian redeemer, again, not a term we have in today's world. 
It just simply meant that the, the dead man's closest male relative, so Elimelech's closest male relative, had the choice that he could buy the land of the dead man and thus redeem the land and keep it into the family name. But also he had the option of marrying the dead man's widow, in this case Ruth, and being the one that would sustain the family name if, if, the, if the widow ended up having children. And so we see through this chapter that Boaz decides he will not only buy the land back as a kingsman redeemer of Naomi, but he will also marry Ruth and buy back all the debt that Ruth and Naomi carried. And so, obviously, this cost Boaz something. You know, Boaz had to put his hand into his own wallet and pay money, but not only financial money to buy the land back, but it cost him his reputation because he was marrying a Moabite, a foreigner, a despised, marginalized, outcast woman. It cost him and a wealthy, well-known, stand-up man in the community, an insider, it cost him something to marry, essentially, an outsider. But he was willing, just like Ruth, to demonstrate hesed love, unfailing, committed, integrity, loyalty towards Ruth. And Boaz is an example for you and I just of how God relates to us. When we are undeserving, when we do not deserve any favor or goodness, we are told that God in his great love sent his son for you and I as a demonstration of a kinsman redeemer to extend hesed love towards us, a commitment towards us, unmerited favor towards us. And so through Boaz, we see in this story that God ultimately answers the prayers, the needs he provides for Ruth and Naomi. And God, through Boaz, changed the whole trajectory of their life. He changed the whole story of their life. Boaz is an example to you and I that we too can be a Boaz to people around us. That we too can Stand up for someone perhaps who's going through difficulties, somebody who's facing unimaginable challenges. Like Boaz, we can step into someone's life and show, extend unmerited favor, character building faith that we too can perhaps meet the needs of people who are crying out for provision people that have a desperate need to somehow see their circumstances changed. Is there someone you can think of today that perhaps God would want to challenge you to be a Boaz too, to reach out and provide and to care with unmerited kindness and favor, with pure generosity, 
to extend Hesed love towards them. You know, this morning, as we finish up this time together, you may find yourself in a place like Ruth and Naomi. You may be sitting here this morning in desperate need to somehow see in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of what you're going through, to somehow see God somehow break through and meet you and provide for you and care for you and give you wisdom. For some of you in this room this morning, God wants to remind you that there are no coincidences when it comes to Him. That coincidences are His providence. Coincidences are His provision. Coincidences, no matter what you're walking through, He is at work in the background. Will you trust Him? He will lavishly provide. He will lavishly meet you right where you're at. But perhaps you need to reach out afresh to Him this morning and say, God, despite what I'm facing, despite the difficulties, I put my hope and my trust in your character and nature, that you are a God whose goodness chases after me. And for others of you this morning, God may be asking you to be a Boaz to someone. Is there someone that you need to be willing? And it's going to cost you something to reach out and meet those needs, to reach out and somehow provide in a practical way, to reach out with hesed love, with unmerited kindness and favour. Is there someone today that you can take your eyes off yourself and put them on someone else and say, no matter what, just like Jesus Christ Himself, I will reach out a hand in love to hold you because of who my God is. And so this morning, you know, our story may not end the way Ruth's ended. That was such a nice bow on the story, happily ever after ending. For some of us, you know, we may not necessarily experience that devotion and care that Boaz extended. Or maybe we're not going to see somebody supernaturally provide the finances we need. Or we're not going to see somebody go out of their way to help us in our trials and troubles. But be assured, Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. Jesus is at work. Jesus sees you. He knows what you're walking through and He is big enough and more than able to take hold of you right where you are. And He says, I love you. I see you. I know you. I am at work because I am the God who rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you today. Will you turn to Him this morning, just as Ruth did? Or will you say, use me this morning, just as Boaz did?
as your kinsman redeemer, Father. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.